0: Now, Cabinet is meeting this morning with proposed changes to those close contact rules and isolation periods topping the agenda. The government is expected to sign off on this advice from the Chief Medical Officer that people who are fully vaccinated and have a booster or immunity by infection on top of their vaccines no longer need to isolate if they're a close contact of a positive COVID case. We're going to discuss the ins and outs of this in just a moment. But first, our reporter Brian O'Connell has been getting some reaction from people in
1: Cork City this morning. If you're close contact and you uh, test negative I think you should be allowed to continue working and stuff like that because like it's so hard to stay afloat especially as a young person. Um, I'm 21, and, you know, it's so important for me to get to work so I can pay my rent at the end of the day.
2: Obviously, the change is that if if you are boosted and if you are asymptomatic and if you're a close contact, you don't have to restrict
1: your movements. Are you boosted? I'm not boosted. I don't know if I want to get it just yet because... Yeah, I felt like getting vaccinated wasn't enough. Like, so. so
2: for people who are not boosted like yourself, the isolation period is cut from 10 to 7 days.
1: 10 to 7 days, well that's, a, that's good, um, but it's 3 days, I don't see the difference really. Like, it, does it really make a big difference? I'm not too sure. Have you lost out on work previously? Uh, I did, yeah, I, I lost out on a couple of months of work. Only, I never actually got the virus, I just was a close contact and I, I had to stay indoors. And so. the impact of that was what? huge i had to drop out of college um because of the virus uh, i couldn't pay my rent i had to borrow money off my parents uh it's rough it's rough good thing i think I it's think. a good thing yeah, yeah. because
2: people are staff short as everywhere like it's it a good a good idea and um, would you be comfortable enough to be around someone who didn't have symptoms but who was a close contact i would have been yeah, because i'm fully vaccinated and i wear my mask in general terms do you think it's time to withdraw a lot of restrictions
3: uh, relax them a bit, not withdraw. I think it might be a bit stronger. Just relax them a small bit if you yeah. could. okay. it yeah. the hospital numbers, stay down.
2: Yeah. In the ICU, that's the most important thing. Really.
0: I think you just have to learn to live with it, so I guess there has to be some sort of compromise. Um, Would
2: you be comfortable spending time or being around somebody who was a close contact even though they didn't have symptoms? Okay.
0: I always take natural caution. I think it's something we all probably have to learn. We have to learn to live with it, alongside it, I guess.
2: And one of the other changes is that for people who aren't boosted, the isolation period is reduced from 10 to 7 days. Yes. Is 7 days enough, do you think?
0: I don't know. I I, I really couldn't say, you know. That's Brian O'Connell there speaking to people in Cork City this morning. Yvonne Williams is a GP based at the Shannon Medical Centre and joins us now. Good morning to you. Good morning, Claire. This is a significant change, isn't it? What do you make of it all?
4: It's a massive change, and it goes even further than the European CDC advice. Um, that if you know systems are struggling in terms of healthcare and economically, that um, we could lower the restrictions or ease the restrictions for people so that they could work. Um, and what's proposed here is not just to allow people uh, to stop restricting their movements and to be able to go to work, but to be free to to move about um, and mix and mingle while wearing the masks. Obviously, those new high-grade masks that they've been speaking about. And. Do you, do you
0: think that it's a step too far? Is that what you're saying?
4: I think there's merit in it in terms of for the economy and for healthcare systems. I know up to 15% of healthcare workers in some hospitals were out after Christmas. So that's a huge issue in terms of providing healthcare for people who have cancer, having heart attack strokes and so on, and for our emergency departments to stay functioning. I would be worried, I suppose, if you have a lot of people who are close contacts, going to bars, going to restaurants, doing shopping, you know, in in sight, um, as opposed to doing it online. I think it will lead to a rise in infections. We don't have official data from the HSE as to how many close contacts in a house are testing positive, you know, within the five days, seven days, ten days. But from what we see here at the practice and talking to other GPs, you know, it's quite high. It's, it's probably 68% within a household with Omicron. Once it gets in, it's, it's very difficult to um, stop it from spreading, particularly with children under the age of 12 <laughs> getting infected.
0: But there's special provision or there will be if the uh, advice is accepted for children under under 12.
4: Yeah, that's what we're hearing and obviously the advice is different then for those who haven't been vaccinated as opposed to those who had either two doses and have had COVID recently or people who've had their three doses, a booster dose as well.
0: And Yvonne, just listening to the Minister as he was walking into Cabinet this morning, I mean, he seems to understand that there is risk here. He says uh, we're always balancing these things. We've seen the ECDC advice and undoubtedly if we axe the rules on close contacts, it does add an element of risk. The question is, I suppose, for people like you and for everybody uh, living in this country, how much of a risk will it be?
4: Well, I suppose for for a GP, there's two risks. One, there's the risks to, to, to patients, and then the second one is from staff to staff. So as any employer, if you have um, somebody working for you who's in a very high-risk group and perhaps they're not eligible for their next booster yet, maybe it's only two months since they had their last vaccine or had COVID, they're going to be vulnerable and they're going to be anxious about coming into work if they're going to be surrounded by others who are in close contact. And, and we'll see that across the board. We have patients already who are worried or working in retail um, sectors, teaching in schools, nurses who are anxious about the fact that they may be surrounded by people who are close contacts. So I suppose we need to see the detail in terms of how often these close contacts are going to be asked to do antigen tests. Will there be twice a day temperature checks? And we do need, I suppose, an awareness as well of the symptoms of COVID because we're still getting people ringing us who are saying, I know it's not COVID, I didn't have a temperature, I didn't have a cough, but actually the symptoms can be very vague. A lot of our patients who are ringing felt tired. They had a headache. They had some aches and pains. Some people had diarrhea. You know, a lot of the time it's just like a head cold. So I think if we're going to advise people to, you know, to not restrict unless they have symptoms, then people need to be very aware of what those symptoms can be.
0: And the isolation period for positive cases, that's reducing down to seven days for everyone. Now, can I? get you to run the rule over that because there is concern, I know that these concerns have been expressed, that someone could potentially still be infectious with Omicron after seven days.
4: Yeah, so I think that seven days is going to apply to people who have been well for 48 hours beforehand. I don't think that's going to change. You have to be symptom free at the end of those seven days. And perhaps they will bring in something that somebody has to do an antigen test on on the last day, you know, as an added layer of, of protection. That would be quite a sensible thing to do. And again, that's something in the CDC advice that they were suggesting that either maybe a PCR test at the end of the isolation period or an antigen test. And I think given the pressure on our PCR testing symptom, an antigen test might be a reasonable compromise for something like that.
0: You're not seeing, are you, that people with this variant are, more inf- are infectious for a longer period of time than they might have been with Delta?
4: No, we're not. We've seen a minority of people who've actually tested positive on day 10. You know, they thought they'd isolated really carefully in the house and managed to avoid it, but actually ended up getting symptoms. or a positive antigen test on, on the very last day. So it does happen, but it seems to be a minority of cases. And I suppose the, the the other big change is the antigen test. You know, if people are testing positive, they're no longer going to go for a PCR test um, unless they're within a certain age category. And I suppose that does bring up implications for us in terms of providing work certs, or will people be coming to their GP looking for a letter for a visa in two time to say I need a letter, I need proof that I, I had COVID and all we have is that somebody said they did an antigen test at home we've had batches of antigen tests we called because they were giving a lot of false positives and we have patients who you know have false positive tests and then test negative on the PCR so we'd like to see some clarity on that in terms of our doctors going to be asked to provide certificates for people for work, for social welfare, for visas um, or who's going to be providing those if it's based on an antigen test.
0: Yeah, that's very complex if you're going to be asked, say if you're given a screenshot of somebody's antigen test from a couple of even months ago. Yeah. Are you going to be asked to certify that they definitely had COVID at that time? that That's your question, is it?
4: That's our question and I mean, you, you can't guarantee that. We saw even only in the last week, you know, huge numbers of false positives with certain brands of antigen tests and, you know, you can't, um, we would always ask for a screenshot of a PCR test when somebody is looking for a letter, particularly for an important document. You know, you can imagine somebody deciding to travel to Australia in, in two months' time to visit family and we've all seen how strict they can be over there in terms of visa requirements. So, you know, that needs to be clarified as well are these positive antigen tests going to be accepted you know for people who are travelling um, who will need proof of, of their immunity
0: I'm going to be speaking to Brid O'Malley who's an employment law specialist uh, next up Yvonne but you touched on this a moment ago I just want to go back to your concerns that people might have about working with people who are close contacts of positive cases you feel that that's likely to be an issue
4: I think it will be an issue because we thought with every wave we had vulnerable patients working, particularly in retail and in sectors where they were exposed to people who didn't always wear masks or wear masks correctly and, and asking for sick certs and asking to be certified um, to stay off work until the environment at work was safer. And that has to be assessed as it was on a case-by-case basis. Bigger companies will have occupational health, um, you know, like the teachers' unions would have access to that. But a lot of smaller businesses, you know, won't have anything like that set up in place. And I suppose the second concern for them will be they're asking people to do antigen tests and to use the high-grade masks, either FFP2 or KN95 masks. We've seen difficulty with people being able to buy antigen tests. You know, they were out of supply a lot of um, the holiday period over Christmas and early January. We're probably going to see a rush on those types of high-grade masks again. So if the government want people to be wearing these masks they need to make them available and they need to make them, you know, available at a price that people can afford. So are you
0: saying then that antigen tests should be subsidised and these high-grade masks should be either supplied or subsidised.
4: Yeah, I think so. I don't think it's fair to ask people to try and source these themselves. They can be difficult to find. They are more expensive, and you know it needs to be equitable. People, if they're asked to wear them, need to be able to to find them locally, um, and easily, so that they can follow the guidelines properly.
0: Dr Yvonne Williams, thank you very much for your time. Uh, we are getting messages on this. You won't be surprised to hear plenty of them. John wants to know why are we easing these rules when the pandemic has not yet reached its peak? And this one, a member of my family has COVID isolating at home. I can't understand how it is now safe for me to meet others. It doesn't make sense. And Brida O'Malley is partner and head of employment law and workplace mediator at Hayes Solicitors in Dublin. Good morning, Breda. Good morning, Claire. Just to that point, and Yvonne Williams mentioned it as well, there will be very many people who are extremely concerned now at having to go into work and work alongside somebody who may have a COVID case, a positive case in their home. Yes. Um, Claire.
5: while I appreciate the restrictions are being eased if Cabinet goes with the proposals uh, this week, but ultimately that has been a risk that is there anyway. If I'm in my office environment... I am at risk that somebody may be brewing COVID and may not know it. So one might say, well, is the risk increased now where people aren't going to be uh, burdened with restricting themselves in the same way? Yes. But I think that's balanced against what we hear from a public health perspective about Omicron Mm -hmm. and its impact. And also the fact that so many more of us now are vaccinated and boosted or have had COVID so are immune. So I think on balance, We must trust the public health guidance uh, as employers and as employees that these judgments are being made on a scientific basis.
0: And what issues are you hearing, if any, from employers and employees around the whole area of close contacts and this change that we're expecting to happen today? I think
5: there's a huge relief particularly from employers' perspective, because we have seen it into the Christmas period and since then that many employers have found it next nigh impossible to resource their workplaces because without notice they're being told that somebody can't come in and then they can't operate a full shift or they can't operate their usual hours. And from an employee perspective, many employees who are close contacts, if they can't come to work, they don't get paid. They're Mm -hmm. dependent on eligibility for social welfare and demonstrating that. So it does offer a huge relief across the country, I think, for both employers and employees, albeit that's not ignoring the underlying public health risks that the doctor mentioned previously and that you mentioned in your question to me. I appreciate that that is there. I mean, if somebody is particularly vulnerable as an employee, I suggest they speak to their doctor and to see, well, ought you be stepping back from the workplace in light of your particular vulnerability with these um, loosenings of restriction um, or alternatively that somebody might want to speak to their own employer or the safety representative around COVID. Um, But otherwise, I think it is just for us to adjust as we've had to do right since March 2020, as the guidelines have changed depending on what's happening in 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 the environment generally.
0: We're likely, though, to have some different rules that will apply to vaccinated people and people who are not vaccinated. I just want to ask you about privacy issues that that uh, may give rise to. So if an employee contacts the employer to say, I'm going to have to be off work for seven days, that in essence tells the employer and possibly the colleagues that they're not fully vaccinated, doesn't it? Is it an erosion to their right to privacy?
5: I guess implicitly in that, an employer may deduce that, oh, somebody isn't boosted. But I think we should hold or suspend from jumping to judgment too quickly on these things, bearing in mind that, strictly it's not legally mandated that people take vaccination so that there's no crime in not being vaccinated. And secondly, insofar as there's a sort of a moral opprobrium attached to people that choose not to get vaccinated, we must also bear in mind that, they May not be boosted because they've had COVID in the last few months, or they may have delayed in getting their original vaccination, so maybe delayed in getting boosting. So, you know, it's not a one size fits all. If, so, I do yeah, think if
0: they had COVID previously, though, the seven day rule wouldn't apply to them. So, you'd already know that that's not the case, wouldn't you?
5: Yes, but you don't know if somebody's staying at home because they have symptoms. I mean, what somebody conveys to their employers is not open season to be conveyed into the community of workers generally that work with that individual. You know, it's private sensitive information. So if somebody conveys to an employer that I can't come in for seven days, in a sense, they don't need to go beyond that. They don't need to say, well, it's because I have symptoms or because I'm a close contact. Colloquially, we know people do that. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, somebody may say I'm following public health guidelines and uh, accordingly, I'm not in a position because of my circumstances. To come in. You know, it, <laughs> yeah, it's I, not for an employer to know, well, is that because you're coughing and sneezing? Or is it because you a high temperature? Or is it because, um, you know, and you're awaiting testing? Or is it because you're a close contact? So like, that yeah, it just
0: can't be a concern of the employer. They just can't go there is what you're saying.
5: Well, it's, I suppose, as to whether somebody is vaccinated or not, there's only very discreet workplaces that are allowed to have information around that and use the information around that. That's Particular healthcare settings, laboratory settings or worker worker workplaces and employers who have done risk assessments saying that we do need to demonstrate you have been vaccinated. Otherwise, for the most part, generally across the economy, um, employers can't depend on the vaccination status of its employees in determining how they organise their workforce in the context of the pandemic. They need to rely on the other measures.
0: Let's just deal with another conundrum now. So I'm somebody, let's say, who for whatever reason, I've decided I'm not going to take the vaccine, but I don't want my boss and my colleagues to know that. So what's to stop me if I'm a close contact of a confirmed COVID positive case from just going to work anyway now if the rules change I'm not supposed to go for seven days yes. but what, what yes. happens if I just go in
4: anyway
5: Yes, and I would say we're not in an increased risk environment with that situation than we were a week or a month or several months ago because ultimately there's a self-policing element to a lot of this. Clearly, if somebody comes to work and they have symptoms, well, that's obvious. And then um, it is for the employer or the uh, COVID representative to really liaise with the individual and say, well, perhaps you need to step out of the workplace and address that. But if somebody doesn't have symptoms and somebody has, in a sense, broken the rules unbeknownst to anyone, well, we, we can't do anything about that as of now because ultimately there's not the sanction of criminal law, you know, following people on these things. We're not asking the police to enforce it. We, we are depending on people's moral goodwill in terms of doing the right thing in these situations. And in that scenario, you'll always have the exception you know, where you'll have people that will break rules and we are susceptible to that as a society but there isn't a law to fix that as
0: such. Brida, thanks very much once again for your time. Breeda O'Malley there from Hayes Solicitors. Liam Doran is former General Secretary of the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation. Good morning, Liam.
6: Good morning, Claire. Do,
0: do you expect that people, staff, people going into work might have concerns at this rule change?
6: Oh, I definitely think so. They will. Um, I think even the last few minutes, listening to your colleagues earlier earlier on and the the, the people at the general public, uh, the changes, look, the government is trying to balance the economic reality of businesses being curtailed, closed down, uh, all of that with um, the risk factors that exist with the pandemic still continuing. So I think any relaxation, and the ones they're talking about now, will bring with them fears for those who are in work and those who are trying to go to work, about what it will mean to the numbers of cases that will appear in the coming days and weeks uh, there's no easy fix here claire in the yeah. sense that you know we are trying to reopen the economy and, and keep it open but what they're changing today or what they're proposing to change today is very significant and I think if they're going to make those changes in order for them to operationalize and you do get one sense there's going to be some confusion amongst i think the general public that if I'm under thirty nine a mobile thirty nine for close contact if I've tried all that we are making it quite complicated. I think it's going to have to be very clearly communicated, and the type, things like antigen testing and face masks, as we mentioned before, are going to have to be made accessible and freely available, so that people will, as a matter of course, use them as part of this relaxation. Are not you, to do, apply are you saying
0: fr- freely available, as in yes. the supplies, or free?
6: Freely available, and I, I when I'm t- like I'm, I'm looking at the HSE website, and it says, you know, you can access it if you're a close contact, but within two or three days it'll be delivered to you. But that isn't going to work in the context of this relaxation. I have to be able to get them immediately to assess whether I'm, I'm negative in the antigen test or not. So it's genuinely my view that the antigen test should be available via pharmacists, GPs, free at the point of of access. I think, as the, your doctor your Yvonne said earlier on, the quality of face masks have got to be available and they should all... These are all vital tools now. Free of charge. Are go- you
0: saying free of charge to everybody in the country? Yes, free of, If we want...
6: Immunisation is free. Now, the way in which we're having to reopen the economy and keep it open, antigen testing and face masks are going to become the same, if you like, important foundation blocks upon, we build, upon which we build our recovery. So if the vaccinations are free... The other aspects, the other areas of the public health measures should also be accessible to the general public. We shouldn't be relying upon a website and the post office to deliver something that's immediately needed. We shouldn't be determining whether it's uh, age bracket or not and so on. These things are going to have, the government, I honestly think, will have to look at these things and say, look, we are relaxing we're relaxing for valid economic reasons, as they would see it. There are risks associated with these things, and we have to mitigate those risks by facilitating everybody access the measures which will determine their behaviour. Because ultimately now antigen testing is going to determine our behaviour. And it's not that long ago, clear, when antigen testing wasn't as such viewed as being right. uh, a reliable tool and oh, so on. All so oh, oh,
0: change. Liam, thanks very much for uh, being with us this morning. Liam Doran there. Dan has been in touch to say we're having half a million people a week apparently getting infected, says Tony Houlihan. We can't have half the country sitting at home for two weeks at any one time. If you're vaxxed, boosted and symptom-free as a close contact, you should be allowed to go to work while taking antigen tests, etc. Life goes on. This variant, Dan says, is more mild. Let's get on with it while we can. Fiona Sheehan from the Irish Independent joins us now. Is that the view, would you say, around the Cabinet table too?
3: Yeah, but if you do the math, I mean, the the, the official figures that we are getting of case numbers are, are way off. Effectively, Tony Holden is saying you've got twice to three times as many people have actually got the virus uh, in the past week as is officially recorded because official figures are only based upon the numbers who had a, a, a PCR test. So, something that's going to happen immediately next week, the official case numbers are going to go up because you are now going to only have to take an antigen test if you're under the age, age of 40 and then register with the HSE as having a, a positive result. As a, a knock-on effect of that is going to be the official number of close contacts uh, are then going to, to dramatically go up uh, as well. The, the concern then is that because you're allowing people who are close contacts to, to circulate as normal in society, that you'll actually knock the case numbers up so you have got that hobson's choice there now mm-hmm. at the moment of do you move in that direction or do you not move does there's, there's a risk attached if you allow people to circulate more more generally who potentially have have got the virus are you then going to knock the figures up but does that take more or do you do you allow a situation at the moment where you're taking more people out of the system yeah. you're, you've actually gone from a scenario at the moment where the health service is struggling not because of the demand but the supply That you're taking taking one in eight uh, frontline healthcare workers out of the system at a time when the the, the demand for ICU beds is actually still a good 40% below where it was six weeks ago.
0: Yeah, but there is a risk, as you say, and, and the Minister for Health said it on his way into Cabinet, there is a risk. But there doesn't seem to be any voices from Cabinet saying that that risk outweighs the benefit of changing these
3: rules. No, there doesn't. I mean, I think they have reached a point now where they're they are pretty much accepting that what was expected with with what was being predicted with Omicron that it would be a milder form of the virus is is actually playing out. If you look at you know the the doomsday scenarios that that Philip Nolan of of, of Manitoba University who's on Nefit puts out there, he was he was effectively. Um, he he actually underplayed his most his most pessimistic scenario on the case numbers. Actually, underplayed the number of cases that are that are coming true now. Mm-hmm. He was around about right on hospitalizations, and even his most optimistic view on ICU numbers has actually been been eclipsed. Even less people are ending up uh, in in ICU. So case numbers are absolutely uh, rampant, and yet there, there isn't that pressure uh, on on ICU. So they seem to be accepting that this is the pattern that is going to emerge, even as the, the this surge peaks in the coming weeks. Yeah,
0: I'm always conscious when we say, you know, this variant is mild, that we'll have people listening to this programme who are at home feeling really, really unwell and the focus is always, isn't it Fiona, on, on the number of people <coughs> in hospital and the number of people in ICU. That's <coughs> not to say people aren't suffering
3: with this thing. No, the uh, Bottom line is, you still have 92 people who are now in ICU as a result of COVID-19 when Omicron is the, the dominant variant. So yes, there are people who, who, who are going to get significantly sick as a result of this. And the wider you, you spread the virus as a result of putting of, of easing off on these restrictions, it's, the greater the risk that, that people will yeah, get seriously
0: sick. Fiona, one other thing I want to ask you about before I let you go. We've been hearing from our previous guests this morning about now subsidising antigen tests, that we have to do this because the reliance on them has changed so much and indeed in the high grade, grade masks as well. Jim O'Callaghan from Fianna Fáil on Friday told us on this programme that they should be subsidised. Thomas Byrne, Fianna Fáil, told Katie on Saturday that this is always kept under review and he said perhaps we're back at the stage when it should be looked at, is it on the table?
3: No, it doesn't seem to be at the moment. I mean, what what government is saying is that prices have come down and that the, the supply issues that were there uh, back in in December have been resolved. Now that there's four hundred thousand free antigen tests going out at the moment from from the HSE, and that's going to ramp up to to five hundred thousand uh, a week. Uh, over, over the coming weeks. So it's not something that, yeah, it's, it's always there, but it's certainly not something that they're planning at the moment.
0: All right, Fiona, thank you very much thank indeed. You. Coming up next, tough questions for Boris Johnson. We'll hear what those questions are after this.
6: Text 51551. Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.